am I going to go for my own thing or join and, and hardest decision ever? Because like, seriously, it was like a dream job. But at that same moment, because that happened, it allowed me to commit to it so much more. And I think one thing I want to tell other women is like, it hit me all of a sudden, like five days into my decision. I was like, which one will I regret more not doing? So that was what finally made the right. decision clear. And I was like, in five years, if I don't do this and someone else comes out with it, or I see that it will kill me inside. So that was my actual decision to go for it and just like do it for myself. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson. And we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue. And we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hey everyone, welcome to CEO School. This is Sanira Madani, your host, and I'm so excited today to welcome Kristen Wiley. Kristen Wiley is a founder who is young, dynamic, just so full of energy and joy. She started a company in the influencer space and really just disrupted the model of how brands actually connect and engage and get their followers engaged and get their brand awareness out through a technology product that she created. Kristen lives in Orlando and she's just such a dynamic founder. She's built such a strong culture at her company, Statusphere, has received numerous awards um, as an entrepreneur, as a young female here in the city of Orlando, raising venture capital. She's been successful in so many ways. And also I'm so proud to let you guys know that Kristen actually crossed the 2% club this last year, and she's hit over a million dollars in run rate for her company, um, in revenue, and also in recurring revenue for her software. And so without further ado, I want to welcome Kristen Wiley to the show. I know you're going to learn so much from her journey. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's so surreal and exciting to be on here. I, I love the podcast. And as you know, I've obviously known you for a while. So, um, and you're a huge mentor and just inspiration to me in general. So I love it when I can, I appreciate that so much. And it is surreal for me too, to have you on the show because Kristen's actually been my mentee, I guess you could say, I always call you my little sister, but I have been part of Kristen's growth journey since she had this idea. And I remember having the first cup of coffee and you're like, Sanira, I want to do this thing. And this is how this is going to work. And I'm like, this is genius. You have to go do this. And really just the check-ins on a monthly basis, sometimes on a quarterly basis. And just, I've just seen you grow um, into this um, just fierce CEO. And I'm so proud to have you here. I'm so proud to have you on the show. And not only just to share your story, because um, you um, were, you know, working for, you know, you, I think your story will relate to so many women listening here today. So let's just dive right in and get started. So tell me, Kristen, um, about your background before you became an entrepreneur. And let's talk about how that journey happened. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think it's interesting too, because I think you're actually an important part of it. And so I think it's just so fitting the whole the whole piece. But yeah, so my background, um, I studied advertising and public relations at the University of Central Florida. Uh, and I've always loved marketing since I was little. I, I It's a weird thing, but I've always wanted to be a marketer. I used to like make ads. This was my fun thing that I did, um, make little videos of me making ads. And I think I just always was so excited by people buying a product that actually fit their lifestyle and their, like, I would just get so excited. I would try to sell my mom on things. And like, I just love sales and marketing. I just, oh, it's a weird passion, but that was always it. Um, and so I knew I wanted to do advertising, studied that in college. Um, I had a professor there who was like, you know, you'll learn way more from starting a blog than you will from college. That's literally what he said on my first day of classes. Uh, And I I went home, actually, it was Jim Hobart. He's actually pretty, I don't know, some people know him in the Orlando community. He's a a photographer here. Uh, He was an adjunct professor at the time. Um, And so I I thank him for that piece of advice because I went home and I started a blog that night. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was just like a little like baking blog. I would actually test out Pinterest projects to see if they worked. Um, And it taught me how to build a website. It taught me how to market myself and being I also loving marketing but then the the other side piece that I didn't I think realize until later is I always had that entrepreneurial mindset I never knew I'd be an entrepreneur to be honest I just like looking back I always like loved to find ways how to make money off of things um so as soon as I started the blog and I could see like oh I have an audience I want to monetize this uh once again wasn't thinking I was a founder or a business owner or anything just a side hustle I started reaching out to brands and joining influencer networks um and getting paid for my posts uh, and getting free product. And I just thought it was so fun. Um, And then on the flip side, I got a job at an agency once I graduated, a a great agency in town. And um, I started working on the brand side. So that's where I started seeing this hole between the brands and the influencers. And I just was like, there has to be better platforms out there because the experience for the influencer was actually not great. I was always getting uh, messages from mattress companies and I had a food blog being like, Hey, like, would, uh, would you like our mattress? And I'd be like, how am I going to integrate that? And like, it wasn't creative. It was just spamming me with stuff. Um, and then on the, the brand side, we would pitch out to influencers. It would be so hard to get a hold of them, uh, to get them to post on time, all the platforms out there. I just wasn't happy with. So that's where the idea for Statusphere came from, was really creating this place where um, where brands and influencers could connect. But more importantly, not just influencers, we call them at the time or even now micro-influencers. Um, so these are just more like everyday people, probably most of your listeners, like anybody who can influence a buying decision. Uh, we were actually finding that they had better and higher conversion rates than some of the bigger influencers out there um, just because they were uh, you know, more cost effective. They were more excited to work with the brand, created more content. Um, so I really wanted to create a network that was all around these smaller influencers per se, but they're still incredibly powerful. I'm going to pause you really quick. And by the way, I, I know many of us that listen to podcasts, we love to listen to our podcasts at like 1.25 speed or 1.5 and daring ones at 2, 2x. And you know, I'm, I'm a fast speaker. Kristen is probably the only one that can spew out more words per minute than any human that I've ever met. So slow your speed down because you're going to miss the good stuff. So fair warning for my podcast listeners out there on speed listening. Okay. So you're working at an agency. You've known ads, you've done, you've done marketing your whole life. And that's actually how we met. Uh, I, I kind of want to bit on that yeah. story for a quick second. Kristen actually uh, was our first brand manager for Fat Merchant from an agency perspective. So we actually ended up hiring Kristen's agency that she used to work at 
um, because of Kristen. So I met Kristen at an event and she was like, oh, I do marketing. And I was like, this girl knows her stuff. It's like, we're looking to hire an agency to really build our fat merchant, our first brand of fat merchant. And this is 2014, 2015. So several years ago in our early journey, and I interviewed Kristen from an agency perspective and on the spot, I like try to poach her from, from her marketing role. I was like, Hey, you should just come work with us full time. We're, we're hiring. We're growing, like forget working for the agency. You just come on board and just run marketing for us. So that's how Kristen and I met. She stayed with the agency. She's like, no, I'm going to handle the account. It's going to be amazing. And we work with Kristen for the first three years of our startup journey. And so I got to work hand in hand with Kristen from an agency perspective. So this girl knows her stuff in marketing, digital ads, setting up processes. Like it wasn't just about advertising. It was also the automations behind it and scalability is what I believe is like your biggest strength. So implementing tools like HubSpot, I remember every single thing was tracked and UTM links and just ensuring that the entire connectivity of the business happened seamlessly from when a lead even like showed up to your website. So I kind of want to brag a little bit about your brain because it works very differently than most people that I've met and it's really fast and it's amazing. And you're a savant in what you do. So you're working in the agency side and you start this blog as a blogger and then brands are coming to you and are like, here's this mattress, here's this baby food. And you're like, I am not these type of bloggers, but I am looking to monetize my blog and you can't find the right brands to work with is a problem. And then the brands can't find the right influence to work with is a problem. Then you're on the agency side dealing with brands to connect with influencers. And then they're posting crap and, and they're not getting the right engagement or it's not the right fit. So we're in this conundrum of where brands are looking to grow their exposure digitally through social media, and they need to find the right influencers. It's not about the influencer that has a hundred thousand followers. I love what you said about the power of the buying decision. It's about the engagement. And that's something that is so true in the influencer space. It's not the vanity metrics that count. It's really how engaged is your audience to actually, to, for you to have an influence on. And so that is where the aha moment came from. Is that, is that the aha moment where you're like, I can't piece this together. And on both sides, you're living it on you you were literally living it on both sides. Yeah, and I was given a budget by my boss to buy platforms to fix the problem. So I got to try these platforms that we were crazy amounts of money, thousands of dollars per month. And I just, the, every time I used one, I was like, I could build something better. That, that's kept what I, what I kept thinking. And, and I also want to point out that that story you told when I met you on the flip side, my experience was it was when it was when it was just you and Lindsay, that was it when we met. So it was a team of two and now you're a hundred 50 or something crazy. And it was like in that tiny room. And I remember watching you pitch at a local event. And actually I had the idea for Statusphere a year and a half, two years before I bought the domain a year before I ever started it. And I had the idea and I watched you pitch. And I literally was the first time where I was like, Oh my God, if she can do that, I feel mm -hmm. like I could do that. Like it, like I'm not even making that up. That's exactly how it happened. So, Oh my God, I'm going to cry. I did not know that. Oh my goodness. That is the power, guys, this is the power of women showing up and seeing yes. other women do it. It's exactly. so important. Yeah, and so like important. representation like matters because I had seen so many pitches and worked with so many, you know, and it's it's nothing like anyone was doing anything wrong. I just had mostly seen, you know, men in business, men starting companies. So like watching Sunir, it just, I could like see myself in her and it was just like the first time I actually realized like I could 
do this. So, oh my so God, I'm like you. actually going to cry now. I did not know that. And I love you so much for, oh my God, I cannot believe that there's, it really does matter of like all the little things that you do. Um, I'm so honored to be part of your story that way. I appreciate you sharing that with me and our audience today. But you are, you're, you are so capable, right? Like you had, you are so capable. And I saw that in you from the moment that I met you. Um, and anyway, so you had this idea and you're like, I can build it. Explain to me how you thought that you could build it. Because I see like, there's so many times where we as women will come across a problem and we're like, this needs to be better. And we're so easily able to think of those things or find those solutions where we get stuck is actually like, how do we get started? How did you get started? Like, how did that happen from that point that you're like, I can build this? What happened next? Yeah. So I think that this is something I love talking with other entrepreneurs about because I'm a non-technical founder, which means I do not know how to code. And so people are always like, you started, you built a tech platform and, and you can't code. And I'm like, yeah, you don't have to start with the full end product. Like that's actually the worst way to start because then you build something people may not want. So what I did was I actually, I, when I decided I was going to finally get started, I built like a little landing page. Cause I knew how to build a website, you know, just a simple WordPress template. It was not coded. It was a template. I made a brand. I think branding is incredibly important. I had a strong name. Um, people thought I was re real just because I had a nice looking website and brand name. It was just me in my you know apartment putting that together. Um, I actually DM'd it to a few random influencers I followed personally that didn't know me and just wrote like, hey, like we're a new influencer marketing platform, like a subscription box for influencers type type platform, like click here to apply. Um, and I remember I went to bed that night, I DM'd like five women and I woke up and I had like 10 applications. And I was like, Oh, I have something here. Like, that's when I was like, this is when I, I, I'm going to do something like, yeah. So, um, I want to so commend, you. I I commend you. So you just decided, and this is really, this is where we have to listen here because you didn't even have the product. You just had the idea. You built a site and you're like, I'm going to go prove this out without having the product. You're like, I don't know what's going to happen when I'm going to actually get an application. Like you hadn't thought that through, but you're like, let me see what someone's response might be. And so you literally pitched it to these influencers to say, hey, we're this new influencer platform that does not exist. Exactly. I actually had a rendering of the box that I created on one of those sites. It wasn't a real box. I like photoshopped it and just like put it there. So I didn't even have a photo of the real box. I had a rendering of one on the website. So that's so awesome. I, that's so amazing and so important for the audience to hear because as women, we're such perfectionists, right? This is like one of our downfalls because um, we use it to our disadvantage, not to our advantage, actually, because we're so we're overthinkers, we're overanalyzers, and it's not perfect. And the website's not perfect. And the process isn't perfect. And the platform's not here yet. I don't have a developer yet. And I love that you said you're a non-technical founder. I relate to that so much. I had a crazy idea. I didn't know how I was going to develop payment software. No idea, but I knew this had to be done. And I built a team around it to do it. And I actually ended up, and I know you guys have heard my story, but I knocked on, literally I signed 100 customers up by knocking door to door. That is how I got my first initial customers up, not even on my platform, just on the billing model. So I can prove out that there is a viable need for a subscription-based billing product. Amazing. So you get the 10 applications and you're like, holy shit, I have something. Yeah. 
That was when yeah. I actually had the moment. And oddly enough, it was also a very weird time in my career. I had a few job opportunities come up and I was trying to decide what I like if I was going to go full time and do this. And I believe the job opportunity was from you. And it was literally like a dream job opportunity. That's why I'm saying you came into my life in all these weird time periods. Like you have no idea. And I, it was like, we I still had don't just- work together, by the way. <laughs> we're just, we're just, it's like, I also never like, and I'm so proud of you, but I've literally tried to get Kristen on my team from day one. And you are a firecracker. Well, you gave me this job opportunity that for honestly valued me at more than I ever even was thinking I was worth. So that's like another whole conversation I think about women and, and knowing their worth. Um, and, and the way you presented it to me too, you're like, this is what you're worth. Like I'm coming in, like you came in with the most aggressive and I, I took me a week to decide. And I was, it was the pivotal time where I was like, am I going to go for my own thing or join and, and hardest decision ever? Because like, seriously, it was like a dream job. But at that same moment, because that happened, it allowed me to commit to it so much more. And I think one thing I want to tell other women is like, it hit me all of a sudden, like five days into my decision. I was like, which one will I regret more not doing? So that was what finally made the decision clear. And I was like, in five years, if I don't do this and someone else comes out with it, or I see that it will kill me inside. So that was my actual decision to go for it and just like do it for myself. Um, I but it was love that. So the question is, so the question that you ask yourself is what will I regret more in five years? That's such a simple question to ask yourself in these mega moments, right? In these really tough decisions that you're, you're facing of quitting your job maybe, and like taking a bet on yourself or of asking, even if it's, you're not an entrepreneur, and even if you're just looking to rank up in your professional journey and saying, putting your name out there for something to say, hey, I'm going to put my badge on the line because I really want this next step career um, goal. Whatever that looks like, asking what will I regret more in five years? I absolutely love that. I love it so much um, because we, we're in these major decisions, not often, right? Like that's not something you should be asking yourself on your like cup of coffee today, but you have these pivotal moments that you can look back in your life. And it is true. It's, it's you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Mm-hmm. No, and, and I use that actually every time I've had a pivotal moment since then, and it just makes my decision making so much easier. So. I love that. Oh my God. Okay. So you got started and you needed to go build technology. How did you come up with, so you're getting the customers in, but you don't have a product. You don't have a platform. You know what, how it's going to work. I'm sure you're mocking it up and you're like creating these workflows. How did you actually code this software? Where did you find the resources? How did you build your team? Let's dive into that of what took place next. Yeah. So the first thing I always ask myself is kind of, first of all, if you're ever worried about the perfectionist thing, just say like, what's the worst case scenario? No one applies. If people do apply, then you have to figure out how to get them products or serve them. We'll figure it out when we get there. That's like kind of the motto at Statusphere sometimes is like, well, let's just do it and we'll figure it out. Like we just kind of always look at things that way. Um, And that's how it started from the very beginning. So when we you know, when I put up that, that landing page and got those, those 10 people that applied, I was like, oh, now what do I do? I need to see if they actually post, if I ship them something. So I actually went to Marshall's and bought a bunch of products, um, boxed them up and shipped them to them. So, and they, they, I, they posted about them. Um, I created little case studies so I could start selling it to brands. So I actually, the first whole entire year of Statusphere was, there was no, technology piece. I always knew the technology piece I wanted to create was this matchmaking algorithm between the brands and the influencers. But for the first year to year and a half, I really just band-aided stuff together. So I did Google Forms and then I moved into like other non-coding stuff. And I just like really went like, how can I use my resources and what I have to just get enough money to invest in the next piece? Because I think that that's something I talk to founders a lot and they're just like, well, I can't make money because I don't have it yet. And I'm like, 
they don't have to know you don't have it. So still those, some of those women are still in my network and I don't think they ever knew like what was happening on the back end that I was literally hand matching every single person with what they were seeing. So that's how it started. Then moving into the technology piece, I did join a starter studio, which I think you went through as well, which really helped you kind of think from, it was like a, a local accelerator in Orlando that helped you think of all the other business stuff that you don't think about and think, think a little bit bigger. And I also started connecting with other, you know, technical people that could possibly uh, kind of finding that CTO. And that was another thing. Everyone tells you like, just, just find a, um, a partner, find a partner. You need a, you need a co-founder. You need a co-founder. It's very hard to do like when you start by yourself. So I do like to tell other founders that are like, that start by themselves, like, It'll come like you have to put yourself out there, but it'll come to you at the right time. And you don't have to have one. Like it's not, it's not a requirement. Um, you need to build a phenomenal team and we have like the best team ever, but you know, don't quit just because you can't find someone early on to start it with you. Just keep going and it, it will work itself out, which is what happened. So I ended up joining forces with our COO, Teresa. So she ended up helping us do more of the manual processes so that I could keep, um, go fundraise, which I know we can talk about. And then we were able to close a little bit of funding and we actually brought on our CTO, but she ran a development shop and she, we just hired them as a, a dev shop to help us start building the platform. And then she eventually just joined her entire team, joined our team. <laughs> so it ended up being like, you know, uh, over a two and a half year time period. Um, but it ended up being a perfect fit, but it allowed us to like get to know each other, which I think is so important. Like don't just bring anyone on your team without getting to know them first or having, you know, at least some paperwork set aside where, you know, you can kind of break up if it's not a good fit. You don't want to like put a ring on it right after like a month of knowing someone. <laughs> so. No, that's a really an interesting point because I'm such a speed person. And I actually sometimes need that reminder that you can, you don't have to do it right away or you don't need that position right away and building it slowly and building it, taking the time to do it is also really important. And at that time for me at Fat Merchant, we were just, we had so many customers signing up that we couldn't keep up with the customers. And I had it like a, a, a and, and you, you were going through a similar growth thing, but I needed actually butts in the seat. And that was kind of one of my challenges was I couldn't find, and I was trying to find the right butts in the seat. And we're so blessed that we actually got the right team members early on. And so that was such a blessing for us, but it's not easy. I practically, my job for the first two years of the company was just recruiting almost like I hired someone. I've literally hired someone every month that our company has been in existence. Like every single month I've got, I've onboarded a new team member and we've pretty much doubled team year over year. And so it's not just one, like multiple, multiple people scaling to 150 people in a matter of five years is a lot of humans and it's hard. And it is, it takes time and it takes skill. So what you're talking about here really resonates with me of um, take your time because the right team members are going to catapult your business, but it can also be disruptive if you don't, if you don't find the right teammate. Yeah. So definitely take, take your time. And if you have that gut feeling that it's not a good fit anywhere, just follow that because it's always right. Especially when you're, when you're hiring someone, because that really, it is a relationship and a marriage. So you have to like not have any uneasy feeling when you're going to go for it. No, that's, that's so amazing. So eventually you got your CTO, you got a co-founder as a COO. Um, how's your team now? Tell me a little bit about the growth that took place. I'd love to talk a little bit about you were successful in raising venture capital. You're going through your next round right now. What happened next from your story of you're building your team, your customers are posting the products. How is this scaling? Yeah. So we have, so on um, just a little bit more about who our customers, our customer is pretty much any, 
any products that can fit in a box and be shipped to someone. So anything you can find at Target, Walmart, buy on Amazon, those are typically the brands that are the best fits for us to work with. You can put anything you can fit in a box and, and ship out. So we work with everything from books and publishing, you know, to everything like that. So I would people are like, how did you get your first customers? I would just cold email. So that's where it started. And both me and Teresa, when we were the first two team members, that's like half of our job was just like cold emailing and then trying to run the business and fulfilling it, cold emailing it, you know, and slowly growing that out. We're now at a team of 19. And then we have an entire sales team that now can just focus on that, which is, I think one of the biggest mindset shifts that I had was realizing you for sales, you need people whose entire job is focusing on sales and nothing else because otherwise it slips through the cracks and it's like way too important. It's the lifeblood of your whole company. So really taking our first investment and that was really what we invested in was sales and then partly technology so that we could automate and save time, which would allow us to not have to hire as many humans <laughs> to deliver what we were delivering. And it took us a year, like we slowly built the platform. And when I say it was like me hand matching to like slowly moving off of that, but still very manual to now I see the platform platform we have now. And it's seriously incredible. I actually have a sketch of, of the first version I made. I didn't even show it honestly to Cassie because I wanted to make sure Cassie, our CTO, was like building something that our users wanted. So she did a bunch of UX research and everything. It ends up looking, it looks almost identical to my first sketches. It's like so surreal. I just can't believe every time I look back at where I was in the, the very beginning, it's just like nuts to think now that there's 19 when I was like, how am I going to find the first team member, you know, which is also always the hardest. And then out of nowhere, you blink and you have 19 of them and you're like, oh my gosh. That's <laughs> so. so amazing. I, I just, I'm so proud of you. So you've got, you're at 20 team members. The platform is just stellar. And, and that feeling that you're talking about, it's a really proud feeling. Like it's such, and I could, I could, and if those of you that are, are listening and, you know, hopefully we'll get some, we'll get some fun snips for our IGTV when you're even just talking about it and just seeing your face, or if you're like the first sketches, like even the platform that ended up you, that your CTO ended up building looked just like the first sketches without it, even without her even seeing it just goes to show how much you knew your customer, how much you knew the product need, how much you knew the product fit and that is what an entrepreneur is. That is a true visionary. That is a true CEO. That feeling of seeing your product actually come to life. God, that is like one of the top feelings of your, I, I put it up there like, like fat merchant for me, I always accredited like my first baby. Mm-hmm. That is, that is literally how I view it. Um, and it's such a different feeling. Obviously I've birthed two children and they're my blood life, everything. And fat merchant isn't a real thing, like a real, um, person, but at the same time, it almost feels like birthing a child that you have been dreaming up that you've been wishing for and kind of seeing it when you just like zoom out and take a step back. It's, it's wild. And it's just, yeah. that, it's the most fulfilling feeling that I've ever gotten is seeing my company from my head into what it is today. And it never stops. Like I'm sure even right now it just doesn't stop. And I still feel like I have to pinch myself to be like, is this real? Yeah, no, that's, I really, I, that word you were saying proud, like that's, I've never felt this proud before until that, like, yeah, it's, it's like nothing else. I think it's one of those like highs of like why you're, why you do it, you know, um, overall, but. I'm so proud of you. That's so amazing. And so your team, you're 20 people now. How many influencers do you have on your platform? What type of brands are you working with? Tell us a little bit about the subscription recurring revenue because that is where that's where it's at. So tell us a little bit about that and uh, how your model works and where how how big you guys are. 
Yeah, so we've had more than 25,000 applicants, even in, I think that was the last three years, we might even have more. This was the last I checked like a month ago. Um, so we've had a lot of applicants. We do have a wait list because we want to ensure that everyone who's on the platform is seeing opportunities. So, you know, it, when you have a marketplace, you need to make sure you have enough uh, influencers, but I don't want to accept so many so that they're coming on and not seeing opportunities for themselves. And then brands. So we, we kind of go back and forth on how we accept them. Um, we've worked with more than 200 brands um, in a variety of industries. Some of the, the most most exciting surreal one for me was um, I actually, if you know, Sephora has their own in-house brands and they actually reached out to us organically. They found us on Google, reached out and said this was exactly what they were looking for. They actually just emailed me yesterday wanting to like expand their contract, which was like so phenomenal. That was like a moment where I like another moment where I was just like, this is insane. Like I remember looking at these brands and being like, one day they'll be in our box. And then they reached out to us, which was just like absolutely surreal. So um, so that's on, on that side, the way that it works from, from the brands is they come to us and say how many influencers or actions that they want per month. Uh, so they could be as small as, you know, 10 people posting on TikTok a month, all the way up to 500 people posting on Instagram per month. Um, and then they pay monthly for those posts. So, um, so most of them are on a, you know, more subscription plan, which is one of the biggest changes we made in the beginning. We did allow for one month contracts. Um, and first of all, it's makes it a lot harder to build, build your business. <laughs> and they weren't really seeing the full results of, we find like they see the best results after three months. So we need to make sure they're staying on long enough to see those results. So they want to come back and resign. Um, so we really made a push last year for those longer term contracts. And that's just been phenomenal and been a big piece of our growth in the last couple of years and in reaching the 1 million mark. That's so amazing. Look at, look at that. Sephora is literally knocking on your door saying, Hey, Kristen, we'd love for our products to be in your box. That is, that's pretty badass. Yeah, that was, I, I still, every time they email me, I get like so excited. So <laughs> like, yeah. And that, that is, that's like the, that's the truth behind it. Right. Like it's not, I think sometimes, um, you know, guys sometimes are just like so non-emotional about things. I don't know. Like, I think there's like, like my heart still skips a beat before I like, you know, receive something big or before like, I get like, if you get a really exciting email from someone or, you know, even for the podcast, like I get so giddy when like I reach out to a guest and a guest once they're like, yeah, of course. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe somebody like Sophia Amoroso is on my podcast or like Arlon's coming on the show, uh, you know, this Oh week. my gosh. And it's, and I still get like, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, well, I'm giddy knowing I'm on the same podcast. So yes, that's both of them. That's insane. are so incredible. And this is what, this is what this show is really about. It's really real stories of real women doing really cool shit. This is like, this is what this is. And you are just a perfect example of it. And I know our audience is just learning so much and is so inspired by you being brave and just taking that leap and not having a technology background and building a tech product. How did you realize that your idea was scalable? So talk to me a little bit about what scalability looks like, because that's something where, you know, I speak to many women about is they're like, oh, I want investors, but it might not be a right investable, scalable business. So talk to me about how your business is scalable and how you kind of secured your first major investor. And then now, you know, on to fundraising. So let's, let's deep dive into a little bit about the venture capital side. Yeah. So first I do want to say there's nothing wrong with not raising venture funding because uh, that's you can build a freaking phenomenal business without 
raising venture capital, but the things you need to raise venture capital is a scalable model. So, you know, they want to see that you can turn into a Google or a Facebook. I mean, those are extreme examples or a fat merchant. You know, they want to see that, that scalability so that they can make their money back because that's the only way that they'll make their money back. And the point where I realized that ours was scalable, which to be honest, when I started, I was just, I was honestly just trying, trying to get a few clients to sign up. I wasn't all like, I wanted to make it as big as I could, but I think you're so heads down, especially in the very beginning. I mean, I was building little landing pages. I had no technology product. I was just like, just spinning the wheels, getting it going. And then I applied for a uh, pitch competition because I, because guess what? I needed money. And the pitch competition was worth $10,000. And I applied, I put together my pitch. I pitched, I ended up winning. It was called the YPO slingshot. It was like a two minute pitch, super quick. So talking fast served me well. (laughs) Um, And I pitched, I got the $10,000, which was like a million dollars to me. I was able to buy a printer for my postage. I was, it was, it was incredible. But that's also the moment when I realized like, oh my gosh, this is scalable because I started having local investors reach out to me and, and talk to me about this. And I, I knew that it could be scalable, but I think I lacked the confidence to fully see that I could do it. Um, and that gave me a lot of confidence in the beginning. And then the other thing that gave me the most confidence is there was this, this like light that switched on where I realized I realized that no one knows what they're doing. Like no one, like that's, I, that's what everyone always tells me. They're always like, why, like, how do, do you have imposter syndrome? Do you have, I used to have really bad imposter syndrome. And then I had this moment where I realized no one knows what they're doing. And it just like lifted this weight off of me where I was like, well, if they don't know what they're doing, I can do, like, you know, I don't know. That's always what I like. That was like a turning point for me. And it was all around that same time period. Cause I think I was talking to some really talented people that I was like, you know, loved and I still like respect them wholeheartedly. But then you talk to them and you realize like no one actually knows what they're doing. Um, so you might as well go for it. You know, <laughs> I love that. And it's so true. We all face that imposter syndrome, no matter what level we actually get to, it's still always there of, you know, there's a gap here, or I'm not good enough here, or there's a confidence issue. I mean, we're humans. We're all humans trying to do our best and succeed every day. Like that is the fundamental principle of what makes us as people. And I love that you're just pointing out the fact that you had such, and I appreciate you sharing that and being vulnerable with us here, that you faced all of these insecurities because that is the truth. We we all face it. Everyone listening here has an insecurity that we are battling every day, even if we know it or don't know it. And when you come to realize that we're all fighting these insecurities, we all have something going on in our heads or a critic or a story or, um, a, you know, a limiting belief, whatever it is, we all face through it. And the most successful of the most successful of the most successful people also have those as well. Cause we're all human at the end of the day, we all have, we're just human. And, uh, so getting that confidence, um, is that like, that's what you really just needed like that it's, and it's, it really is. That's such a huge principle of everything we talk about at CEO school. Half of it is mindset. Literally, I would say if not more, um, you, you know, it's mindset. I'm also a big believer in execution. So you can have the right mindset. And if you just can't execute, that's also a problem, but it's almost like what a nutritionist say, um, where it's like 70% diet right? It's like 70% diet. You can exercise all you want, but it's, it's still on the diet. It's kind of like mindset to me is the same thing. Like it's all mindset. And if you don't have the right mindset, um, it's not, it's, it's half the battle, but you still have to be able to execute. That's the other half, but you're not able to execute without the mindset. And once you cross over that shift, once you take that pressure off, you can like feel the weight off your shoulders and you could just be you. 
like they just be you and just show up. And that is where the success actually happens. No one's actually wanting you to be anything that you're not. Exactly. And I will say, if you are trying to raise funding, mindset is probably 95% of raising funding because you've probably also seen people get it's all in that confidence factor. I had someone tell me investors entire job is to find the reason not to invest in you. That's their entire job in their purpose on in their thing is to find that one reason not to. So you can't give it to them. And it is so, so hard. I, I always talk about fundraising as like your, which you t- you call it your baby. I was like, it's like taking your baby around to people and being like, look how great my baby is. And then they're like, your baby is ugly and it's going to grow up and be nothing. And like, that's literally how it is. And you have to, so your confidence and mindset has to be so strong that you don't listen to those people. Cause it is, it's hard. It's, it's not, it's not easy. Like you really have to believe. Um, and if you don't have go in with a strong mindset, I think you're just not going to be successful at the fundraising piece. I agree with that. And, and it's really crazy because I'm on the other side now as an investor and we have uh, this, you know, we invest in deals and we're, we we do venture deals. We look at startup deals and at all different scales and sizes. And the number one thing is we call it, it's the jockey, right? Like we're always looking for the right, it's the right leader that is there is the number one thing. If you have, it's not about actually how pretty the platform is, how great the, all those things are important, but if the jockey isn't right, then that horse is never going to win. And so we're always looking to bet on the jockey and not on the horse. And so I couldn't agree with that more. And I'm so proud of you. It's so difficult being a girl and raising capital. Can you talk about some of the things that you faced? Cause I know you and I have a lot of wine and coffee over this. So let's, <laughs> let's, let's take a sneak peek behind uh, the conversation and feel free to talk openly here. This is a open forum. Oh man, that w- this would be its own podcast. Let's, um, let's talk about episode. like shit guys say to girls raising capital. Let's just go there. Like, what are some of the things oh. that, you that you're just like, oh my god. Oh well, yeah. Oh man, I don't even know if I can say all. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, interesting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I'm trying to to think. I was um in one meeting where one of the stats. This is my favorites. One of the stats in my presentation is um that most women, it's like 94% of women feel that advertisers don't understand them. That's one of the stats. It's pretty like well-researched and it makes sense because if you look at most ads, um, probably maybe it's gone a little better in the last year, probably because more women are, are in advertising executive roles. Um, they would show you people that don't look like you, you know? And that's one of the reasons I created Statusphere. I want women to shop from women that look and live like they do, not like this crazy thing you can't aspire to. So like I'm pitching this to them and this guy dead seriously looks at me and says, I don't think that stat is right. And I said, why? It's why don't you think that? And he's like, because I work in marketing and we understand women. That's literally what he said in the meeting. And I was like, am I on like a bit punked or something? Like, is this, is this happening? Like we do. Uh, we do. So that stat is wrong. Like your, your stat is wrong. That's researched in your deck as a man, he's saying this to me. So I think that was one of those moments where I was just like, once again, no one knows what they're doing. I was just like, what? Like, this is, I'm just going to leave this meeting right now. And I think the, the other biggest thing is being a woman, but then also, I guess my other favorite story is, is being from Florida. They also weren't fans of that. Um, I had one investor, this was just this past year. Tell me he's like, why does this matter? Yeah. He, he said, he's like, um, so as you know, you're from Florida. And I was like, yes. And, and he's like, well, you know that we need to make money for our LPs. So we just can't invest in Florida companies. And I was like, why? And he's like, because there's no talent in Florida. 
And then he just was like, okay. And I'm like, are we, are we done with this call? Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just wild. And these are the calls you have to do and you have to put up with. And it's hard because you can't say you like, oh, I, I have so many thing, things, thoughts about fundraising because you can't go out and say it and bash people because they all know each other and then you get a bad reputation. So that's why it's like, you want to like really blow up and then write a tell all about it because it's like, you can't, you don't want to burn too many bridges, which it sucks because that's just like the reality of it. Just lots of fun stories. Like I know I hear you and I feel you on every single level and it is ridiculous. And literally when we were going through our series, a funding outside of Florida, we got discounted valuations because we were in Florida and it's because they want you to be in Silicon Valley, right? So it's like, if you're not in Boston, New York or, or Silicon Valley, then it's like a, a straight up discount on the company value. And what's crazy is that the second largest university, and this is where facts, like mm-hmm. this is where we as women, like this is why numbers are important. UCF is the second largest university in the country. So when you talk about that, there isn't talent, we've got more talent in our backyard than Silicon Valley, who were Facebook and all the, all of these companies are just poaching talent from each other left and right. And it's costing companies so much in recruitment when we've got ripe young talent to scale across all different types of industries. So we could talk about stuff like this for hours on end, but it's so frustrating that frustration and they're just second guessing everything you're doing. And when a guy comes in saying the exact same thing, it's like, oh, well, of course, 94% of whatever. And, you know, it, it's not questioned. Oh, yeah. If, if, if a guy would have said my stat, they would have been like, that is a Bravo stat. Yes. <laughs> it's like, it's it's wild. It's wild. And actually, our very first investor outside of Florida, which is Jason Calacanis, he's out of San Francisco. That story I'll tell very quickly, but he... Oh my gosh. So I applied for everything I could get just because like I said, I was just trying to get money. I applied for his, he had like an angel university where you had the chance to pitch him. I applied, I got on a plane to San Francisco. I'd never been to San Francisco ever. I had only flown by myself like one time at this point in my life. I was so nervous. I got on a plane. I literally stayed with somebody I met on LinkedIn, a woman, a freaking amazing woman I met on LinkedIn, cold outreach, who's now one of my best mentors. So crazy story. I land in San Francisco. I pitch him. I end up getting picked to pitch him. I pitch and he goes, this is amazing. This is great. Like I, I'm very interested in investing, but where are you located? And I said, Florida. And he's like, you need to get out of Florida. This is, he's like, all businesses in Florida are scams. He like literally says that. And, and I went back and forth with him and he actually like really respected that. And I like gave all these facts that you're talking about. And I was like, if you invest in me, it's like it, you get double the worth of your money because I can spread it that much farther. And he's like, it's probably triple. And I'm like, exactly. And we were his first Florida company he invested in. He now has like 20 Florida companies he's invested in. And I should mention too, he's like the first investor in Uber, Thumbtack, Robinhood. He has like seven unicorn companies, but we were his first Florida company, which that's is awesome. Good, but sad, <laughs> but yeah, we're putting Florida on the map. I know we, we fight that battle, which is it's just so interesting um, of that. Steve case, actually founder of AOL has this huge tour bus that he does. It's called rise of the rest. And he goes around to cities that are not these three major cities talking about the fact that there's a better pipeline elsewhere outside of these three cities and that more companies, like there's a new wave of technology coming that's not going to be from Silicon Valley. And he's trying to find the next hubs for technology. So it's really cool. Kristen, this has been so fun. We could literally go on to this episode for another hour. I do want to do a quick rapid fire with you just for fun and would love to pick your brain a little bit really fast. Whatever comes out, just just spew it out. All right. So what is your, are you a coffee or a tea drinker? Coffee. Coffee. How many cups a day? Just one. 
One cup a day. One, one strong cup. If I drink, if I drink anything afternoon, I um, stay up all night. I'm like one of those people. So morning routine. Is there something in particular? I have my coffee. I have a very small breakfast. Um, and I actually have your new planner. So I've been using it. So I have it. Yay. <laughs> I I could not have plugged you in. <laughs> it wasn't, I knew you did not ask me to do that. I love it though. So that's awesome. Okay. Um, pizza topping. Um, green peppers. Ooh, I like that. I like that. I love green peppers and onions actually. So oh, that's, I was, if I had to, I would have done those two. Together, oh, okay. So. Fun. Favorite alcoholic beverage. Um, gin, any gin drinks <laughs> would not have pegged you for a gin drinker. Okay, cool. And then let's talk business million dollar revenue. What did you do? How'd you celebrate? When I realized it, I like was running our financials and I knew we were hovering around it. And I, um, I actually was doing a takeover on our social that day. I don't, I didn't even post on there, but it was just like so fitting. Cause I was like reminiscing about our whole thing. And then I like went into QuickBooks, ran it. And I realized we hit our 1 million today. And I just like, honestly, I just sat for like, a little while. Just was like, I'm proud of this. It was in the middle of COVID. So like there was nowhere you could go or nothing you could do, but I was just very proud of it. So I'll celebrate at some point uh, bigger, but uh, yeah, it wasn't, there wasn't much to do, but honestly, I was just so excited and happy, but that's awesome. You were in the middle of COVID with the best news ever. Yeah. So proud of you, Kristen. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I know our audience just absolutely loved hearing your story. How can we support you? So here at CEO School, we're a tribe of ambitious, powerful women. And we want to, we appreciate all the knowledge that you've shared. And we want to see how can we support you? Um, well, you can follow us on at Statusphere. So we, we post some really fun, good content. And I think a lot of the women in your audience will resonate with, with the content that we, you know, have. Uh, also, if you are an influencer, um, we're, feel free to apply. We'd love to work with you. We do have a wait list, but we would love to work with you. So definitely like sign up so that you can hear more about it. And then if you have a brand, always love working with female founded, awesome new brands that are up and coming. Um, typically those resonate best with our audience and actually perform best just because they understand their audience. Uh, so would love to hear from you and see how we could help you uh, grow your business. Well, I'll link all of that in the show notes below. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being on the show. Cheers, Kristen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review, and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.